From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today I have the great privilege to speak to registered dietitian, author, ultra marathon runner, Michelle Hearn. We talk about diet. We talk about how diet heals the body. We talk about how diet lessens anxiety and alleviates depression. Michelle shares her story battling with anorexia as a child, growing up where doctors told her you have a 10% chance of survival and, and, and becoming normal again when she was suffering from anorexia and how she managed to heal her body and her mind by going on a ketogenic low-carb diet and eventually, I think, carnivore. Uh, for me, I don't talk about diet as often as I should be on my channel. I have been on a low-carb ketogenic diet for more than three years now. I've been on a carnivore diet for the last six months, and my health improved dramatically. My mental health and my physical health improved dramatically, unbelievably so. Like It's hard to talk about to somebody who hasn't, who hasn't, gone on this low-carb carnivore journey. And so in this episode, I want to deep dive into Michelle's life, whether it's her battle with anorexia and depression, and what she knows now, now as a registered dietitian, what's the path forward and how can we heal through food? Now, her book dietitians, the dietitian's dilemma, I highly recommend. Um, I'll just read briefly the back of the book so you get a better understanding of who Michelle is. After years on a high carbohydrate diet, intense running sessions, struggling with an eating disorder, and feeling the throes of anxiety and depression, Michelle knew she needed to make a change. Does the one-size-fits-all food pyramid work for everyone? Are there other options, such as a low-carbohydrate or ketogenic diet, that may mitigate our risk for metabolic illness and restore us to health? Could this way of eating reverse diabetes, alleviate depression, pave the way to heal eating disorders, allow us to age gracefully, and prevent heart disease? Why, as a nation, is our health failing? And why aren't the nutrition guidelines updating with the science? Registered dietitian Michelle Hearn dives in and offers easy-to-read information while covering the latest research and clinical studies. In addition, personal testimonies and actionable next steps offer hope and inspiration for you on your health journey. Now, Let's dive into this interview with Michelle Hearn. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. So I read your book, uh, Dietitian's Dilemma, and I'll show it to the camera so everyone can see who's watching. Um, 
such a great tool for anybody who's looking to improve their overall health, physical. But for me, um, as my listeners know, I was trying to improve my mental health, going through anxiety, GAD, agoraphobia. But I guess the best place to start is your history. Um, uh, how did this all come about for you? Yeah, and I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version. But you know, <laughs> 12 years old, I was diagnosed with anorexia. I was uh, about five feet tall and 57 and a half pounds. And so at that point, I was, went to um, inpatient treatment for two months. And, you know, I was immediately put on a 24-hour tube feeding system. You know, at that point, I had starved myself actually in a relatively um, short period of time. You know, I was at a normal weight for my size and lost a lot of weight very quickly. Um, and then, you know, not only put on a 24-hour tube feeding system, but also fed the standard American diet. And I, you know, I had struggled with a little bit of anxiety and depression as a very young person, but it went like astronomically, you know, everything got quite a bit worse in treatment. You know, I was prescribed seven different medications. I was having anxiety. I was depressed. I didn't want to live. I was having all kinds of GI issues, you know, diarrhea, pain. Um, I remember, unfortunately, a lot of time in treatment, I was just kind of zoned out. I was on such powerful medications, you know, and that was my first interaction with the dietitian. And I remember just asking these questions, you know, why I don't understand, like, why am I being fed this way? Can you explain it to me? Because even as a young person, you know, I knew obviously, clearly I had issues with food, but what they were feeding me, I just, I felt miserable, you know, and I was told as I, um, you know, I did gain weight and I am grateful, you know, I believe that in inpatient treatment saved my life. But I was told like, hey, you know what, you're probably going to have anxiety the rest of your life. You're going to have racing thoughts around food. You're going to have these obsessive, you know, thoughts, maybe behaviors. You'll probably, as an adolescent and adult, you may deal with depression. You may have recurrent suicidal ideation. So we recommend, you know, medication. We recommend lots of therapy. And so I remember, even as a 12-year-old, thinking like, oh, my gosh, like, this is now my, my cross to bear. I'm going to figure have to figure out how to become, like, a high-functioning person with anxiety. And I felt like, you know, I did. You know, I went through um, high school and into college. I became an athlete, um, you know, and I had issues with food back and forth but I knew I wanted to become a dietitian because I still I was curious I wanted to learn like I knew nutrition was powerful but I felt like there was still such a disconnect because I had such like I said severe anxiety um and so to become a dietitian you, know, you have to go through an internship and then you or I'm sorry you get your four-year degree go through an internship and sit for the exam and during the internship that was the first time that things didn't really make sense to me like, for example, I remember we would go to somebody uh, in the room that has diabetes, a type 2 diabetes, and the dietitian would say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to teach them how to have 75 grams of carbs at each meal and 15 grams at each snack. And I'd be like, oh, wait, wait, can't they no longer uh, tolerate carbohydrates? Isn't their blood sugar too high? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to dose them with insulin. We're going to teach them how to use insulin. And so I just asked questions like, well, why, why won't we just reduce their carbs? Oh no, Michelle, Michelle, we, everybody needs carbs. Carbs are the base of the food pyramid. Carbs are important for the brain, you know, and if they don't eat carbs, they're going to have to eat fat and fat will kill you. Fat is bad for your heart. You know, we have to use fat sparingly, but you're new, right? You're a student. So I just, you observe, but I'll never forget my first time in the ICU. We, um, we were doing tube feeding for a patient that had a traumatic car accident, couldn't eat. And I remember flipping over the bag and I'm like, oh my God, this is the same stuff that they fed me at that point 12 years ago. You know, I, I, um, I was 24 in the internship. And now, I mean, now I'm almost 39 and it's still the same stuff. 
two feeding formulas, number one ingredients, maltodextrin, corn syrup solids, canola oil, and soy protein. So I just asked, I was like, wow, is that, could that potentially damage somebody's system that's, you know, acutely ill? Like, is that that the best way to feed cancer patients, burn victims? And it was just like, oh, Michelle, it's all calories. You're, you're thinking too much. Like, and so you become a little bit like, wow, like, you know, you start to question yourself. Well, maybe I am thinking too much. Maybe it is just calories. And so there's this, you know, kind of this dogma and the dietitians are told. Um, and, you know, and I've talked about on other podcasts, you know, we know the Academy of Nutrition, which is the governing board of all dietitians, is heavily sponsored by processed food. When I was in your dietitian, their number one sponsors were Coca-Cola, Hershey's, General Mills, and Sara Lee. Um, they've now picked up new sponsors. They're actually, as of 2021, <laughs> oh, they're no. now, we're now sponsored by the National Confectionery Association. So we are literally sponsored by candy. Like, you almost have to laugh because it's so sad. Um, but, you know, and once again, these sponsors heavily influence continuing education, you know, education. And uh, it's so... That was kind of my start into dietetics, but I was also an athlete. You know, I was training really hard, so I personally was following a relatively hard, uh, higher carbohydrate diet. And I'm, you know, I've always been relatively lean as an athlete, as a runner. But I, like you, I suffered with severe anxiety, and you know, it got to the point in my 20s. You know, sometimes I couldn't go to work. I was having panic attacks. I couldn't be around large groups, and so I felt like I was standing on the sideline of my life. I was having to do things to manage it. Like all your friends are going out, well, I'm going to stay home or, you know, I really would like to take this job opportunity, but it, I feel overwhelmed. And, you know, if, if people haven't experienced anxiety, that might even, it may not make sense, but certainly if you have, you know, it's just paralyzing. Um, yeah. And then I went into practice and I became really jaded after a few years because for the most part, my patients were not getting better. People with diabetes, it was getting worse. They were having now amputations, wounds weren't healing. And also in acute care, we were seeing so many patients. You have this huge list of patients you have to see. So you've got like two, three minutes with each person. And so I even brought that, um, when I worked in Colorado, I brought that uh, up to my clinical supervisor. And I said, I just don't have time. I do not have time to make any change with people. And she said, well, are you, are you checking boxes? Are you, you know, are you doing what you need to do charting wise? I'm like, oh, well, of course I am. Oh, well, it's fine. Mm. So the message was, it was loud and clear. It was like, look, we're not trying to get people better. We're just trying to get insurance reimbursement, keep this system going. And so, you know, throughout my career, I took some hiatuses. I did a few different things. Um, but kind of like, you know, my, my big life change. I was in 2019. I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials and the marathon. And my health just fell off a cliff. You know, at that time I was 36. And I went from being able to run easily 10 miles on my long runs, 20 plus miles at a time. Too, I just started getting like cold sweats. I would go out for a run, one or two miles in, I, I my body would ache. I uh, I remember I literally had to sit down because I was sweating so hard after like a mile. You know, I went and saw my family doctor, everything was fine. You know, talked to a few dietitian friends of mine. I'm like, oh, you need to eat more, more sugar, more carbs, more glucose. <laughs> and so I'm motivated. I'm like, all right, I'll give that a try. And it was like, I went from bad to worse. I My anxiety was so bad. I, once again, for it had been a while, started having suicidal ideations, started, um, I couldn't go to work. I, I was just couldn't make decisions. Like, what, what do I eat? What am I supposed to do? Like, I was scared. I was like, am I going to have to increase my medication? What am I going to do? And then finally, like the come to Jesus moment that I like to call it is I, uh, I had a, just a tough day at work. We had a patient pass away 
I came home at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Is like, I'm just going to go lie down. And I fell asleep. And I woke up in the middle of the night. It's like two in the morning. And my muscles just felt like they were on fire. Like everything hurt. And I'm sitting there in the kitchen like, what do I do? I've tried everything. You know, I've got ibuprofen. I've tried alcohol. You know, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Um, and I just, you know, so at two in the morning, I drove to 7-Eleven and got a bunch of ice and put it in the bathtub and made this like ice bath. So I'm crying. It, it, it was ridiculous. And my wife came in and was like, you know, maybe we should do something different. And I was just like, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to run anymore. Clearly I'm too old to run. I was 36 then, like I said. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think sometimes like that point in my life, like if you had told me like <laughs> that, that moment, like, Hey, Michelle, you know what, this is going to, your whole world is about to change. You know, I would have been like, yeah, my whole world sucks. Like I can't run anymore. And I'm in pain. I was in so much pain. Like way disproportional I've run my you know since I was 14 I way disproportional to what was happening um just with training because I wasn't even running that much I couldn't get that far uh yeah and so the next day I kind of just you know I kind of intuitively knew all these carbohydrates weren't making me feel so good but even then I was kind of scared I was like okay well maybe I should try a ketogenic diet maybe I'm gonna try a low-carb diet and I had been kind of you know looking around on Instagram and trying to do some research and I was actually a really surprised when you look at like Google Scholar and some of the scholarly articles, there were some pretty good clinical trials on low carbohydrate diets and diabetes. And I was like, well, this is interesting. Like no one has ever taught me this as a dietitian. Like, wow, we can resensitize people to uh, insulin in 14 days, <laughs> two yep. weeks, you know, and obviously not a full reversal, but we can start the process. And so I kind of got excited. I was like, this is, I was just curious. Yep. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to adopt a ketogenic diet. And then from there, you know, after a couple of days of thinking like, this is what I'm going to do, like mentally preparing myself, I came across the carnivore diet. And I was like, most people, I was like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like, come on, man. Like, I like me. <laughs> All these questions. So, but this is what I would hope anyone would do. My health was so bad. And I was curious. And I was like, this actually kind of makes sense. This is how humans evolved. And so I reached out to a few people in the carnivore community, really grateful that they reached back out, just gave me a few like, hey, this is what I did. This is how it worked. And so I figured, you know what, let's do a 30-day trial. Let's try this for 30 days. And my only goal was, like, I just want my body to stop hurting. Like, mm -hmm. protein helps you heal. Maybe that will help my muscles heal. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, coming from the history of an eating disorder, my, uh, my wife was like, no, absolutely not. This is eating disorder. This will set you back. This will cause all kinds of problems, which, like, you know, she's seen me try some pretty weird stuff. <laughs> so she definitely had a point, but I mean, you know, we argued about it and I felt really bad because she cried and finally she's like, whatever, you're an adult, this is not gonna work. Mm -hmm. And I can't even tell you like why I felt so drawn to it, but um, yeah. So, I mean, that was my start. That was basically how I got going. I see it all the time when I'd get a client and they would say, you know, Brad, I just can't seem to get into these new habits. Or or be new behaviors. These healthy, these health to them, they don't really know it's healthy. They just they just having a hard time breaking out of their unconscious cycle. And then I say to them, "Well, are your current patterns right now giving you the results that you're looking for?" And they're like, "No." Then isn't anything outside of the unknown to you? that's where you need to go. And so, for example, like, or in your case, the unknown for you was, well, 
there's this keto diet or this carnivore diet, you know, it's, it's, it's causing you a lot of resistance because you're like, well, isn't this unhealthy or just meat? Like, I'm, I'm like all of these what ifs come up, but you're in a position where everything else you've been doing is just completely wrong. You're not getting the results you need. And so now that you've jumped into uh, keto or, or, or ketovore, when did you start to notice that things were like, oh, this is, this is almost like a magic, the, the secret key to, to life. Like, when did that start to happen? And what did you feel? What happened? Yeah. And I'm, I, I, I have more, um, I guess like hindsight now, like it, cause you know, obviously, like I said, my, my wife was like, this is not going to work. You're going to feel terrible. Yeah. And I've been eating such a high carbohydrate diet. We're talking like 400, 500 grams to go to basically 25 or less. Right. I, um, the first couple days were rough. Like I felt pretty mm. terrible the first couple days. And then I was, I remember I was driving home like the third day and even like traffic lights, like, Oh, it just hurt. And so, you know, you come home and my wife's like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I don't want to be like, Oh my God, I want to die. You know, this is terrible. <laughs> but I, I knew, I knew that people talked about like a keto flu, like your body is just transitioning. You know, it's, it's not used to, uh, it's used to burning glucose. This is like, you know, Holy crap, what's happening. But I, I had, I don't know, like I said, I just had this intuition. If I could redo it and I would tell everybody like, oh my God, electrolytes, elect I didn't do that in the beginning. That was yeah. a big mistake. Um, yeah. But then about a week, I'd say about five to, uh, five or six days in, I just noticed my body didn't hurt. Like I wasn't in any pain. And I, and I remember having this thing like, wow, this is so cool. But then it was also like, oh, well, I'm not running. So maybe that's it. And then about nine or so days in, I was in a meeting at work. And I remember... Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, I work with them at that time in a hospital, a bunch of dietitians and they come in in the morning with their bagels and their oatmeal and, you know, snacks. And I have like a pound of ground beef and butter. <laughs> like, oh, that's a different. Um, yeah. So I remember eating one morning at like nine and we had, you know, we had this long, stupid meeting and my coworker was like kind of getting antsy, you know, kind of shaking. And she, you know, whispers, like, Michelle, I'm going to go grab a snack. Do you need something? And I was like, Christy, we're, I'm going to have lunch at like noon or whatever. She's like, it's almost two. And I remember thinking like, whoa, in no universe could I go that long without eating. Yeah. Like I would feel dizzy, shaky, anxious. What am I gonna eat, when, where, what? I was calm. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is really interesting. And then, um, yeah, three weeks, three weeks into this this whole thing, I came home and my wife was just sitting there like waiting for me. And you know, you're always like, oh, are you okay? Am I okay? <laughs> what? We're about to have a talk, like, what's going on? And she's like, hey, I need you to come sit with me. And I said, what's going on? And she said, um, I'm not sure if I like this way of eating yet, but this is the best your anxiety has been in the 11 years that I've known you. And I, like, I mean, she, and I, I mean, we were both just kind of like, she's like, I want to know why. We need to know why. Like, cause this is either like a fluke or this is something like we both should be doing. Like we need to talk about this. And that was that, and that is when we really dove in. And you know, she works in a hospital as well. So we had access to lots of clinical trials and. You know, we were like, oh my God, what did you find? Like, can you believe they have, because all we're ever taught as dietitians is that the keto diet is only good for epilepsy. But we were looking at like mental health. We were looking at the bioavailability of meats. We were studying like everything we could find, started listening to like, you know, you know, Paul Saladino and Brian Sanders. And uh, it's just, it was amazing. It was amazing how much information was available. And I remember thinking like, has everything I've been taught been a lie, yeah. you know? And of course, just like you get excited. I'm like, man, this is so great. I, I got to talk to my clinical director about <laughs> teaching patients. 
And of course, you know, I was immediately told like, no, in no universe are you going to teach. You have to teach the standard American diet. Um, and so that was disheartening. And then um, kind of at the same time, though, you know, I was just I was home more because I wasn't running. And my wife, you know, she likes reading <laughs> in solitude. And she just kind of made like, like a casual comment like, yeah, you should go for a run. You're bothering me. You're around, you know, and mm. I was like, mm, I don't know if I can run without eating carbs. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to drop the ego. Like, I'm just going to go jog. It'll be fine. And I was able to run for an hour. And at that point, I'd had almost zero carbs for a month. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, <laughs> she was like, oh, this is so great. You can be a recreational runner. It'll be fun. And I was like, what if I run an ultra marathon? Like, let's dream big. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God bless her. You know, she's, she puts up with me. But um, I I feel like this way of eating gave me my life back. You know, um, at that time, we, we kind of agreed, like, all right, let's not totally dive into ultra marathoning but I, I you know I connected with Zach Bitter who's the at that time was the current 100 mile world record holder his, his record's been broken so now he's only the second you know but uh, he felt it's a low carb diet so he explained to me like this is how it works this is how you know you can burn fat for fuel and feel better and and I was like what if I've kind of stumbled upon something that could work really well for me it could potentially work really well for other people and uh, yeah it just kept going and I just, the more I healed, the angrier I got. I mean, I mean, obviously I was grateful for my own health, but I was angry at our healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely. And I became very angry. I'd go into a patient room that was suffering. Yeah. And it was like, hey, if you, if you teach people about low-carb nutrition, you could get fired. You could lose your license. Mm-hmm. And it, there became this huge cognitive disconnect. And I just couldn't keep doing it. I couldn't keep, you know... <laughs> and my situation was like, you know, you, you, I was in a situation with like, how long can I do this? How long? And then COVID happened. And so I was a newer dietitian and I lost all my dietitian hours. But they're like, don't worry, Michelle, we're, we're going to put you in the call center. Well, you know, I'm like, OK, what does that mean? Well, you, you can't do anything nutrition, but mm. patients are going to call to order food and you just take their call eight hours a day. So for eight hours, I had diabetics calling, ordering chocolate cake and caramel macchiatos and people with heart disease calling, ordering, can't, can't order meat or fat, but can order 144 grams of carbs per meal. And I just kind of broke. I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, we got to get out of here. So, um, you know, once I financially figured out how to, we could do it, I, I took a, a very large pay cut to uh, work at a local place in Portland, Oregon, uh, breaking down animals, making sausage. And, and that's all I did for, for months was I worked there and I wrote, I wrote my book. I, I wanted the book to be my story of, you know, working through an eating disorder and what like the research said about things I thought I could speak really well on. You know, I'm not an expert on autoimmune disorders or cancer, but I thought like, you know, I can speak well on diabetes, mental health disorders, eating disorders, sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting and heart disease. And there's also a chapter on where the nutrition guidelines came from, plants versus animals, because, you know, most people think these eating plants is just like this magical utopia of health, which in reality, it's really not. And, um, and people were curious about my running. So I just, you know, I threw a chapter in there on running, but it, uh, it was a wild adventure. You know, I tell anyone who wrote, <laughs> who wants yeah. to write a book, just, it's don't make any promises with how long it'll take. It's a, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and it's hard, you know, it's, it's so different. I looking at like, you know, how much you <laughs> make in a hospital versus like my tax returns this last year, you know, we're talking like, well, the, this maybe you know just it's it's a it's a struggle but i've never felt like i was doing something more valuable and more meaningful yeah and um you know and i've just been fortunate i've been fortunate to to be interviewed you know with 
several people and to be able to go speak at like low carb USA. And, you know, my ultimate goal is just that people have the option. You know, I'm not somebody who thinks everyone has to do something in a certain way. And I know there's nuances, but I feel like when we're presenting, you know, newly diagnosed um, diabetes, severe anxiety, depression, we need mm-hmm. to talk to people and say like, look, there is, there is research, there are studies that say that eating this way can help you. And then we also need to be working with um, people about <laughs> better, you know, habit forming, coping skills. Um, it's amazing how many people from t- the time our kids are little, we're, we're teaching them to cope with sugar. Oh, you're sad, sugar. Oh, you're happy, sugar. You know, kids at school, chips and a Coke. You know, it's like we're, we've got to help people kind of unlearn these behaviors. Yep, absolutely. There was a, you touched in upon in the book, uh, something like a cup of spinach, we only absorb 1.8% or something like that of, of the nutrients. And then compared to a piece of steak where we're absorbing 20% of the nutrients. So what is it about this way of eating? So incorporating more fish, uh, seafood, uh, beef, eggs, uh, even cheeses into our diet. Like, what is it? What are we getting from that? That is having such a profound effect over our physical but our mental health as well yeah, that's a great question because you know that when i worked in you know i worked in two different psychiatric facilities and there was kind of this dogma that like oh plant-based diets will make you really healthy mm. but like what people like something we don't teach in nutrition is bioavailability and what does that mean bioavailability is what your body can actually use and absorb because if your body can't actually use it it is of no use to you and like you said like steak versus iron like you know, one, they have different forms of iron, but like the iron that's in spinach, like if you just look at it and you're like, oh, well, if I eat this much spinach, you know, I can get you know, 50, 100% of my iron, but your body can only absorb 1.7% of that. So that would be like, if I wrote you a check, like so for like a thousand dollars and you're like, oh my God, awesome. And you go to cash it and they're like, she only has $17 in her bank account. It's that you'd be like, crap, that's stupid. That doesn't help. Cause it doesn't matter what I write you the check for. It matters. Can you access the funds? It doesn't matter what's technically in the spinach. It matters. Can your body use it? And that's where we've come to like a big problem in nutrition is we're, we're just there's on nutrition labels does not show bioavailability. It doesn't show where your body can use it. So throughout evolution, humans evolved being able to, you know, on meat and fat, we know throughout evolution, people ate small amounts of plants, roots, things when they were available but they were a very, very small part of our diet. Humans, the, the human body, just our, our GI system, our digestive system is very good at extracting nutrition from meat, organs, and fat. And it is a huge mistake that we're doing in nutrition now to be like, oh, instead of eating meat, you can eat soy or Beyond Burger. Like <laughs> meat, it, it's, not just, it's not just protein. People think like, oh, I'll just get protein somewhere else. Meat has things that you just cannot get in soy. And when I'm talking B12, zinc, folate and then a lot of the amino acids and trace minerals things like carnitine tarring all these things have very powerful impacts on your brain and they are not duplicated (laughs) in soy or beyond burger and beyond that we know that a lot of plants i guess probably the best way to break it down quickly um is uh, a lot of plants have things called anti-nutrients like nothing in nature wants to be eaten like if you and I go hunting and we like step on a stick, a deer will run away. It's like crap. I don't. Nothing wants to be lunch, and that includes plants. But plants can't run away. So what's happened over time is they've developed where they're like, you know, they're actually um, they they have defense mechanisms. They're rooted into the ground, so they can't move. 
But plants have things like oxalates and phytic acid that make them taste bitter or they have hard seeds. So for example, I was anemic for many, many years, but I, I took iron supplements, I ate some meat, but I was eating so much whole wheat bread and nuts and seeds. Those things have phytic acid. It binds to iron and it makes it unusable for your body. So when we remove a lot of those plant materials, and if somebody's struggling with mental health, I think that at least for a period of time, 30 days, maybe a little bit more, it just makes sense. Like, let's give your, let's calm your system down. Let's take out all that anti-nutrients and let's just flood it with high, highly bioavailable nutrition. You know, let's give it the, the meat, the fat, the, you know, things like organ meats. And that's another thing. People are like, oh, vegetables, carrots, vitamin A. I mean, 45% of people cannot absorb the vitamin A in carrots. You know, it's not, it's a different form than what you might find in like liver or some other animal products. Same thing with the vitamin D and K, you know, the animal products are the ones the human body prefers to use. So it just makes sense that that's what we, that's what we use and that's what we um, take in. Right. And then on the flip side of that, we know that, uh, you know, when you eat a lot of processed foods, it can actually alter your brain chemistry. Like this was news to me. This is the work of Georgia Eve that when you consume a lot of processed carbohydrates and seed oils over time, it can have the same inflammatory effect as even like some um, illicit substances, it can actually shift glutamate in your brain up to a hundred times. And when it does that, it actually prevents the brain from coping with stress and engaging in neuroplasticity, which it's like, what does that mean? Like <laughs> one coping with stress is kind of important. If there was ever time in society, we kind of needed to cope with stress. It's now, but like, if you think about like, if somebody listening to this, if you've ever eaten like a big thing of ice cream or a super carby, sugary meal, a lot of times what, what happens is you get that dopamine hit. So you might feel mm -hmm. really good initially and like it's almost like that euphoria and then you can come crashing down really hard, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but also it like, you know, if your brain can't learn and take in new information, I mean, if you're trying to establish new habits, if you're trying to heal from an eating disorder, mental health, like, yeah. And, and here's another issue I have in healthcare is we constantly blame the patient. Oh, what's your problem? Why can't you get it together? Maybe my brain's on fire. <laughs> Maybe you need to stop feeding me these processed foods and you need to, you know, feed me in a way. It's, it's, it's mind boggling to me that it's, we consider it almost eating, we consider it eating disorder to eat in a way humans were supposed to eat, like eating meat, fat, avocado, coconut oils, like, oh, you're a weirdo, but eating like a sandwich, Oreos and chips, it's like, oh, that's normal. All things in moderation. Like, Right. Ugh, it's backwards. I feel like if you look at the history of human beings and what we've been eating for hundreds of thousands of years before we started to build factories and uh, make crackers, cookies, cakes, pies, um, it, it, it's common sense to look at it that way, what we've been eating the most. But also, Michelle, do you have an argument for someone who says, well, you know, in the argument where you say, well, we've been eating meat for 200,000 years or way longer than that. But, um, but then the argument is from someone else's perspective, uh, well, look at the lifespan of people uh, dying at an early age, but it wasn't because it wasn't because of the diet. It was because we didn't have vaccines. We, the the common cold would kill us or all, uh, 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 women dying in childbirth, so many different things. So what is your argument towards someone who says something like that? Yeah. Cause I mean, if you, if someone said like, Hey, 
you know, our lifespan is so much better now um, than it was, you know, yeah. during the evolution. They're right. They're sure as hell right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, back then we didn't have sanitation. Like you and I, um, you know, I, I guess I don't know exactly where you live, but I'm guessing you don't live in a forest or whatever. <laughs> We're not going to get eaten by like a saber-toothed tiger. We're not going to fall off a cliff. We're not going to, if we get the flu or if we get a bacterial infection, we have penicillin, we have other mm -hmm. things. So those were the things, you know, it was very rare in early human history to live past, you know, 35 plus years. And obviously now we know we live, you know, up to 78 years um, beyond, you know, interestingly quick statistic, people with mental illness, actually, their lifespan is shortened by about a third. Um, but my argument would be like those people, like you said, those people were not dying of heart disease. Like if you look, we look at skeletal remains. Of, you know, especially the hunter gatherers is it's like, man, it's, it's gnarly how hard they're, but they have strong, hard bones, you know, healthy systems. Nobody was dying of heart disease. Like if you look at the, uh, even traditional uh, tribes, like the Maasai in Kenya or the uh, Inuit Eskimos, I mean, the Inuit eat like 80% fat. I mean, they eat like well over and have zero heart disease. So it's like, yep. that is not the issue. The mm -hmm. issue, um, yeah, why people were dying early is just <laughs> life was more dangerous. But even if you look at people in the 40s and 50s, like they didn't have the body types we have now, right? And that wasn't that long ago. At that time, they weren't being told, oh, butter is not good for you. Um, where did all this stigma stem from? Oh, meat is bad for you, causes cancer. Um, and then it seems like it's such a hard belief now because everybody I come into contact with who, who says, why do you eat meat every day? Or why do you eat, eat eggs every day? That's going to cause a heart attack. And it's everybody who's saying that, like most people, uh, where does that come from? It's kind of a long, <laughs> crazy history. But yeah, no, I had a, I had a professor when I was um, early in college who was much older. I want to say almost 80. And she, I remember her saying like, man, during World War II, like we just ate all kinds of high fat stuff. We didn't know yeah. how bad it was for you. And I was, I remember thinking like, what what's exactly changed you know like is is it really that bad for you um, right kind of i guess the quick and dirty is you know there's there's so much and i have a little chapter in my book about this but i mean it kind of started with this woman ellen white like this woman who started this whole seventh-day adventist movement she thought she had visions from god that told her that it's bad and then you know it's it's crazy and political we go through world war ii where we were trying to grow like have more food for our allies and um, we subsidized farmers, we subsidized wheat and corn, but back then we still were, were people still leaned on meat and fat and other things. Um, but it was really more when we moved into like the 60s and the 70s, you know, and the, when Vietnam was going on, um, Nixon, you know, he wanted to get reelected. There was a lot of chaos, so he hired this guy, you can't make this name up, Earl Butts. <laughs> um, and he said, hey, let if we support the farmers, we'll, you know, make, we'll help drive prices down, everyone likes cheap prices. Um, we'll just subsidize people to grow corn. Everyone was growing corn. And at one point, they had too much corn. I'm like, oh, God, you know, they're adding corn to everything. Like, what do we do with all this corn? So Earl flew to Japan and to check out this new um, technology, high fructose corn syrup. We could turn corn into this goo that's cheaper than sugar, tastes like sugar, and extends shelf life. So we have that happening. And at the same time, we had Ansel Keys. This um, was considered one of the first nutritional scientists. And he, it was his hypothesis that animal fat and animal pro, um, high fat, high protein caused heart disease. And he did what was called um, the well, 22 country studies, but he actually left out a big part of his research. Anything that didn't fit his hypothesis, he left out. Like the countries that actually ate the most meat and fat had the lowest rate of heart disease, but he left that out. 
but back then you didn't really have to um you know disclaim everything <laughs> so he he painted this picture yeah it's meat and fat it's causing heart disease so we have like all of a sudden all this high fructose corn syrup being pumped into things where it's like we gotta lower you know we can't have as much fat well cool not as much fat let's jack up the sugar and then we had research coming out that sugar was actually causing heart disease so the sugar administration kind of freaked out and they're like oh my god we got to suppress this so they paid the equivalent of what would be today, like 48 grand to have two scientists like basically kind of lie and say, oh, no, it's not sugar, it's fat. Um, but once again, you didn't have to say we're funded by the sugar industry. Now you do. Now you have to disclose like, oh, this is being funded by Coca-Cola. Um, and so but and people ran with that article. It was published in major things like, look, you know, it was kind of cherry picked. And and so now we had all this stuff. It, it kind of became like the new dogma, like, oh, we have to have reduced fat. We have to have low fat. And you're right. If you go back and look at pictures of even like people on the beach and stuff in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, like people are lean. And now we started eating all less fat and more sugar. And we know what does that do? That causes a blood sugar spike anytime. And this is like chemistry 101. Insulin stops your body from burning fat. Insulin says, do not burn fat, store fat. When you eat a lot of sugar and carbs, you are in, all you do all day, store fat, don't burn fat, store fat, don't burn fat. And we basically change the metabolic health of our nation. At the same time, you know, um, Hershey's and Sarah Lee and all of them saw, saw a great opportunity and they got in bed with the Academy of Nutrition, it was the uh, American Dietetics Association back then, and uh, just basically bought dietitians, bought our education. And so, you know, it's amazing that we have all this evidence. I mean, you can see a chart when the nutrition guidelines were published in the 80s that obesity has increased exponentially. Any human with half a brain might five-year-old niece could be like, oh, that's wrong. Like we should do something about that, you know, but they haven't changed at all. Like they just published the, um, 2020 or 2020 to 2025 guidelines. One, they use the word healthy 520 times in this 164 page document, but they're the same, exact same. It's amazing to me. Uh, and they say all the right things. Like we want to help, we want to reverse chronic disease, but let's do exact same step, mm -hmm. you know? So and statistically, we're eating more, we're eating more whole wheat, we're eating more fruits and vegetables, we're eating less sugar, but yeah, uh, it's, it's such a mess. It's such a mess. And we literally have convinced an entire generation of people that this food that we, you know, we hunted, we, you know, we raised, we, that we evolved on is bad for you. And that this processed nonsense in a lab that we can show you, I can show you on a chart. I can actually freaking forget a chart. I can prick your finger and show you after having cereal, your blood sugar goes up, you know, right. we've convinced people that that's the way to eat. You know, if you look at the back of a cereal box, wheat, sugar, corn, like don't eat eggs and meat that are full of nutrition and will keep your blood sugar and energy stable and, you know, help you grow and develop. Have this sugar, water, flour, yellow five nonsense. Like, hmm. It's amazing. And people, like, people believe it. People, I mean, you get on any social media platform, there's all kinds of, like, oh, try this, try this. And then even worse, you know, what the, what the companies really brought from dietitians was the idea of moderation. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife and I just did a skit on this. <laughs> it's like, what is moderation? Once a week, twice a week, once a day? Yes. Nobody knows what it is. And the human body and the human brain cannot moderate processed food well. I mean, it's literally somebody's full-time job to help figure out how I can basically get you addicted, light up the neurotransmitters in your brain with these, this ultra processed food. So yeah. it gets me really frustrated and fired up, you know, and I, I always encourage people like if nothing else, like let's just common sense mm -hmm. <laughs> what you ate all through. And I'm not saying, you know, like I, I don't think, I think meat and fat should be the foundation for humanity. That's what we evolved on. Mm -hmm. And from there, 
add some whole food carbohydrates. Most people, most of our grandparents had gardens, you know, do, do some seasonal local things. That, that is what will, in my opinion, will help you be like a healthy human. And when you read about these epidemiological studies, you, they, they, and they cherry pick, uh, someone's diet. So if someone has a steak, French fries and Coca-Cola, they find a relationship between the steak, right? And not the Coke or. No, but this person ate meat this many times. That's why they're so sick. Yeah. Epidemiology is, is the dumbest. Like I I want, I throw all that out the window. Like, because one, you're asking people, it's usually like a checklist. People want, are liars. People are terrible at remembering anything and they, and they will lie to you in general. You know, but also too, like you said, correlation does not equal causation. Yeah. Correlation is supposed to be a starting point. And what I mean by that is like, let's say you and I are like, man, we think, let's just super devil's advocate. We're like, man, we think that steak is causing heart disease. So we do a, you know, we do this epidemiological study and a bunch of people are eating steak. We're like, that's our starting point. We say like, okay, we interviewed these people. Then we would go and say like, oh, interesting. They're also drinking 20 gallons of Coca-Cola you know, every week huh, I wonder which one it is. Let's tease this out. It's not supposed to be like you look at it and be like, they're eating steak and drinking Coca-Cola. Steak is bad. <laughs> but that's what we do. And that's yeah. because, but that's not what make, makes headlines. Headlines, people like, me causes cancer. Keto is the worst. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And I think it also just, you know, I, I tend to be, I like to be a positive person, but I'm also a realist. We mm. live in a capitalist society. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot make money healing people. It's very, very difficult to make money healing people. It is much easier to make money keeping people sick. Mm-hmm. I, if I can, if I heal you as a diabetic, like I can make money off you your whole life with medications, with your eyes are going to go, I'm going to have to amputate, I'm going to have to, like, I can't kill you. I just have to keep you perpetually sick. It's really sad. But if I teach you how to heal when you can heal relatively quickly, then our mm-hmm. healthcare system is screwed. So that's also why you guys are watching this. You need to support your people that are doing the right stuff. <laughs> when you laid out the meal plan of someone with diabetes in your book, I mean, I was just, it, it sickens me. So what is a typical meal plan for someone who has diabetes? And what is diabetes? And then what is the meal plan? Yeah. So, I mean, there's two different types of diabetes and people get very passionate about this. So for this purposes, we're not going to talk about type one, which is, Five percent, less than five percent of people have type one. That's not what's crippling healthcare. Type two is basically when your body is no longer able to tolerate carbohydrates. And there's a couple of different things that can potentially happen. Um, either your body, your pancreas is no longer secreting enough insulin. Your pancreas is um, secreting a ton of insulin, and your insulin receptors on your cells it's just not responding. Um, or sometimes, like the pancreas just all together is like, I'm done. Like I'm exhausted. I'm not secreting any insulin. But for whatever reason, your blood sugar is high. Because after you eat carbohydrates, any any of us, when we eat carbohydrates, we're going to get a rise in blood sugar. That is very dangerous to the blood um, over time. If, you know, if your blood sugar is too high over time, that is what causes all the issues we see with people with diabetes. That's why, you know, people whose blood sugars are in the two, three, four hundreds and they're not doing anything about it, you're going to start to have problems. You're going to start to lose circulation. It damages your arteries, your legs. You're going to start to have uh, potentially lose your eyesight. Um, that's why people with diabetes have a two to four fold risk of heart issues. So that's not good. So <laughs> it's like, what should you do in that situation? Okay. I eat carbs. My blood sugar goes up. It's too high. Stop eating carbohydrates. Like it's very simple. Like we completely <laughs> overcomplicated this, but our current way to treat diabetes is to say like, okay, 
well, we'll just have you eat consistent carbohydrate doses, dosages, meaning the same every meal, and we'll dose you with insulin. And that will bring, and it does, that will bring your blood sugar back down. But here's the thing, it's not an exact science. Let's say you eat 75 grams of carbs for breakfast. I give you what we think is the 75 gram carb dose. We can check it 30 minutes later, it's still too high. I got crap, I'm gonna give you more insulin. Check it 30 minutes later, oh no, now you're too low. Well crap, now I have to have you drink an apple juice. Oh shoot, now you're too high again. It's this we're like constantly chasing it. Um, and it's a mess, I mean, if you want a quick quicken, <laughs> What we feed people, and it's usually like cereal, orange juice, banana, low fat, you know, toast with jam. Lunch is like pasta, chicken, salad, you know, crackers. And dinner's the same thing, like, you know, little maybe tiny like fish and rice. And there's always a dessert and there's always something sugary. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's like, how are you going to heal? You know, we know hyperglycemia prevents wound healing. And these people desperately need more protein and fat. Um, but we're just, and they're hungry too, because it's like, you're giving them these foods that aren't sustaining. And then we blame the patient, like, man, you're just lazy. It's like, yeah, maybe we're not treating, <laughs> maybe we're not really treating this condition very well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I noticed growing up eating, I'd have waffles, I'd have cereal for breakfast. I would eat uh, pizza. I look back and uh, my, most of my diet was, uh, it was 80% carbs growing up. And I, I suffered from a lot of migraines, nausea, um, not as severe of uh, symptoms as you, Michelle, but, um, and looking back, it was such a catastrophe because I had a lot of brain fog. Um, I couldn't concentrate, uh, restlessness, but also when I switched my diet, I've been now four years almost on a ketovore diet and I noticed that the biggest thing that blew my mind switching to the diet was the fact that my mood is consistently stable that I'm not get, I'm not reaching to 2 p.m and I'm like oh I gotta take a nap or uh, I'm not like pushing myself to do things anymore but my energy is so is is consistent um and was that like the huge moment for you, Michelle? Like when you switched, like the, like no more. Up it, you know, like I was saying, I kind of felt like I went from feeling almost like depressed to like euphoric. It was constantly right. like riding this blood sugar roller coaster. And uh -huh. I would be exhausted by like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Like if I did not, like I literally, it's like sometimes I'd be like, all right, I got to finish this patient chart. No, I can't do it. I got to get coffee. You know, like it was always worrying about when is my next pick-me-up? I need something, whether it's sugar or caffeine. Um, and even like I said with running, like I couldn't run at all anymore. And now I've, you know, I've run up to 50 miles and mm. constant, you know, like the, if you had told me that at that point, like when I was so sick, like, hey, you know what? You're going to heal and run 50 miles. I was like, I can't even, I can't even run a mile, mm -hmm. you know? So that that's something too that, like you said, like mood too is very stable. And that doesn't mean that like life isn't like, so it's, it's so funny when people are like, man, I got to reduce stress. Like, well, good luck. You live in the world. Life is stress. Life is stressful. And obviously, if you're creating drama, that's a totally different thing. But we're going to have stress. We have to be able to cope with stress. When I changed how I ate, I, I was able to respond calmly. You know, I realized, like, just how I handled life was so much better. You know, and I've, I've been so fortunate. I've interviewed and talked to some people that, you know, had OCD or had other issues. And I'm like, I can't believe you had OCD. I mean, you're speaking so clearly. 
and calmly. And I just, I'm so fascinated and grateful by how the brain heals. You know, it's like you can completely go from being, for lack of a better word, I mean, I was kind of an anxious mess to, uh, to being able to articulate and, you know, (laughs) just feel good and show up in life. But yeah, my life is, is demanding. You know, I, and most of us, most people listening, like whether you have your family and career and whatever you're doing, you know, you want to be able to be engaged and show up and, and to be resilient. Like before this way of eating, I was not resilient. I mean, I had several sinus infections during the year. I was tired. I mean, I felt like if a day was too overwhelming, I'd be in tears. <laughs> and that's not to say things are perfect or easier. I don't have my moments, but I feel just much more like calm and resilient um, as a human. Absolutely. Um, what would you say to somebody, somebody who's interested and open to the idea of changing the way that they eat what's the beginning stage of all that as a dietitian michelle where do you start Uh, it's overwhelming or it can be overwhelming you know because we eat for so many different reasons you know and a lot of people um and myself included especially at that time are eating for comfort because it's like i'm I'm, my life kind of sucks so it's nice to like eat sugar then i feel this good at the end of the day so I always say, like, before you do anything, you know, before you change, before you whatever, I like to do what I call, like, radical honesty. And this isn't, like, being mean to yourself or judging yourself, but just taking, like, a quick inventory, you know? Sit down for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and just be real. Like, what is, what's really not working in your life? You know, I, and that 3 a.m. in the bathtub, I remember thinking, like, I'm short with my wife. I can barely get through a day of work without crying. My whole body hurts. Mm-hmm. I can no longer run. I haven't seen my friends in a long time because I'm too anxious. Like things were a mess. Like just, and this is just, that, that was reality. That wasn't like me being mean or whatever. But so yeah, just sitting down and being like, this is where I'm at. Because on your journey, I mean, it's not linear, right? You're going to have good days, bad days, up and down. It always helps me reflect being like, wow, this is kind of where I was. And it also is a good reminder of like, this is, I don't want to be this way anymore. You know? Because, like, I always tell people, like, your life can look completely different in six months. You can make improvements in as little as a few weeks. But in six months, it could be night and day, right? So that's what I would do first. And I do think it's helpful that if you if you have the capacity to work with somebody, and it doesn't have to be, like, you know, <laughs> a $200 session person. But if you can find a coach or a health coach, they don't need to be a dietitian. I mean, somebody who understands the low-carb carnivore ketovore, uh, keto, ketovore world, that can be helpful. It's just having accountability. Mm-hmm. Um but I do think like, cause, cause we can, you know, anybody can help you kind of dial in the food type stuff, but you're going to have to be real honest about like your patterns, your coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also always tell people like, whatever you decide to do, whoever you decide to work with, you need to set yourself up to where you can say, I'm going to give this 30 days. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to be better tomorrow. The next day it'll probably be worse. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to get that initial period is tough. I, I get frustrated when people say, oh, I tried keto and it sucked. Well, how long did you do it? Oh, three days. Over the weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah over the weekend. Did, right? You know, it's, we're such, you know, Amazon Prime can deliver something now in like 24 hours, right? Like, I can Google something. It's so fast. It's like, that's not really reality. Life and the human body takes time. And, you know, I like wrote that in my book. It's like, the secret to success. It's so not sexy. It's like time on task over and over and over again. You know, I usually race, big races twice a year, but I run every single day. You know, I run hours every single day and it's, it's, you're building yourself to get better. So yeah, if you're new to this and you're curious and you want to get started, sit down and be really honest. Why? 
and you can even write like what would you like like dream about it like what would you like your life to be like you know for me I didn't think at that time but man I would have been I'd be like to run again you know I I don't want to be in pain I want to have steady energy I want to be able to play with my kids like whatever it is for you and then yeah then connect with somebody and certainly if you're not in a position where you're able to do that like (laughs) get online you know go get on my Instagram or other people's and look start reading start asking questions you know get some resources going it doesn't have to be complicated i mean that's probably my favorite part is like literally for like a month i ate a lot of ground beef butter and liver <laughs> it was very basic you know um and it was good for me it was good for me to that helped me kind of let go you know let go of a lot of things and then you know obviously also working with a coach can be good because i think sometimes when you get a lot of healing um it can be like you need to change and evolve like as your goals change and evolve and it can be hard to do that like i don't want to change at all i don't want to add back this or that right absolutely yeah that's what i would do and you know there's coaches too that'll you can get people now that are like 20 25 dollars a session so and so i guess the the beginning step would be the main foods to avoid are sugars grains um vegetable oils and keeping your carbs under what would you say recommend at the beginning 50 yeah i mean 50? it kind of depends how your metabolic health is mm. like and it also depends like you know if you're i always say there's such a difference between like i'm 400 pounds and i'm diabetic or i'm like severely underweight but anybody i do think the body needs rest the body needs mm-hmm. to rest a lot of those fruits and fibers so i think most people would benefit from a, a period of time of 25 or less you know maybe 50 if you're doing like some some fruits and some other stuff would probably be fine Um, but yeah, you've got to let your body like kind of adjust using more fat for fuel, getting insulin kind of back in line. Um, cause that is also, this is not another thing we just don't talk about is it's very stressful on the body to be having these blood sugar spikes and crashes. I mean, you're getting waves Mm -hmm. of cortisol and epinephrine and all that kind of adrenaline. Um, so giving your body a chance to kind of like, Ooh, let's easy tiger this, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, sometimes people, everyone's different. You know, I kind of was just like, I'm done. I want to, I want to dive right in. Some people are like, I need someone to really baby step me. So maybe the first week you stop drinking soda, you know, like there's not a quote unquote right or wrong way yeah. to do this. Um, you will see results faster, obviously, if you're, if you're a little bit more aggressive, but if that, you know, if you're, if you know yourself and you're like, Hey, that's not working for me, then you do, you do what works best for you. You know, the whole, well, there's no like gold medal for you got there first, right? The whole goal is to be a more healthy, physically, mentally human being. Absolutely. I actually stumbled forward in keto like badly, right? Like I started off eating a lot of dark chocolate and like, like you know what I mean? Uh, like dirty keto. <laughs> I don't think it's super great. People are like, oh, you know, you can eat all this mayo. And I'm like, oh, you don't yeah. want to be eating like, you know, sugar. And, I mean, you can get 25 grams of carbs of sugar and just eat mayo. Like that's not, that's not what we're trying to do here either, right? Absolutely. And then like when I started, to, like I was eating a lot of peanut butter, almond butter and like, when I started to, but then that's how I learned. Like I learned the hard way and my audience knows that I have to, it takes me, I get from point A to point B maybe over a year where it takes you like maybe a month, right? To get over that. But I get there, but I get you know, there. People ask me all the time, like, oh, my, my mom, my friend, my dad, how do I convince them? How do I help them? And you honestly, you can't like, I mean, when I say you can't, I don't mean to like, I mean, be down or depressing here but people mm-hmm. change at different rates and like nobody will change by you like shaking them like because huh? I, I see people all the time like this would be so great for you so the best thing you can do is be a living example yep. because if you're feeling great like you're going to draw people to you and just like like myself like my health had to get really bad sometimes your health has to get really bad 
And that way, you know, if somebody you know and love or helps really bad and they ask you and they're open to it, you know, then you can go in. But if you've been that person for the last year that's been like, you should do keto, you should do keto, they're probably not going to ask you <laughs> when they're feeling crappy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be patient. Um, you know, I, I always default to compassion. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just kind of a life thing. Like, regardless of what people are going through, just everybody's different. Everybody's going through a battle we don't know, you know. So I just, I want to live my life as a living example and ready to help people that are ready to listen, you know. Absolutely. And lastly, for those who think, well, you need carbs for energy. You need carbs to to run marathons or to lift weights or, you know, to uh, to work the brain optimally. Um, so you as an athlete, what have you accomplished on a ketovore, carnivore, low-carb diet? Well, I personally, I've been very fortunate. You know, I trained for my first ultra in 2020 and they just kept getting canceled. Um, <laughs> yay, COVID. but we actually ended up getting to race at the end of 2020. I did a six hour timed race. So I won the race. I covered, um, a little over 44 miles, 44.63. So that's an 804 pace for, um, six hours. And then this last year I went to the tunnel hill race out in Illinois and I won, I was the first female. I ran 50 miles. I mean, you know what? It was really nice at those aid stations where everyone's having stomach issues and eating a ton of carbs. I'm just a lot less and I'm running through, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, um, human, just human physiology, we need zero carbs to live, to thrive. That doesn't mean I'm anti-carb or I don't eat some carbs. Um, they just ideally, I think should be a smaller part of the, the diet. You know, the brain can run very easily on ketones. It does not need glucose to run. Um, for somebody who is very active growing, you know, you always have that person that comes back. that's like, what if you've just been in a serious burn or car accident? All right. You know, (laughs) you're, the body can make all the carbohydrates it needs through a process called gluconeogenesis, gluco, glucose, neo, new genesis to, to make the beginning. Um, but yeah, you know, so you really don't need carbohydrates for, for very specific uses. Like I run, I mean, right now it's not that much like 45, 50 miles a week, but when I'm really going for it, like 80 miles a week, I'll eat 50 to 100 grams of carbs a day, and I'll certainly take in more during my actual race. Mm. But it's very individual and specific um, to, to whatever your goals are. You know, mm. when I'm just when I'm, during my recovery or downtime from running, I eat very low carbs because my brain. You know, I actually think the brain functions better just on ketones and on fat. Like you're just you have so much more stable blood sugar and energy. You're feeling better, and so you know. And if you're skeptical and you're like, oh, I don't know, like. You know, Eric, Dr. Eric Westman was the first person that told me, like, Michelle, a low-carbohydrate diet has more randomized controlled trials than any diet out there, than the Mediterranean diet, low-fat, low-calorie, vegetarian, showing it's safe, it's sustainable, and it's effective. Yeah. It works. It tastes good. We like it. People don't. People will not continue to do something that makes them feel crappy, you know, or they don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a reason, like, we continue to do this. It works really well. Right. And we're also, like... I mean, we could go on and on about like what we're seeing even in mental health, like how some of the other benefits, you know, to your brain. So I would just say, yeah, you know, you have nothing to lose. And, and you know, don't be a dumb bunny. Like if you're on medications or whatever, you need to talk to your doctor. Like you, if you're on insulin, you know, you got to work with someone to figure that out. But there's all kinds of resources out there. You can get on dietdoctor.com. You can find a doctor in your area or a virtual doctor that will help you with a low carb. You can get health coaches if you're not on medications or you're not worried about that. Um, and I would say just, I, I realize it sounds cheesy, like your whole life could be different 30 minutes, you know, 30 days. I wouldn't have believed it either, 
but it's it's so cool it's so great to just live again it's like I'm no longer on the sideline of my own life like I can you know I just traveled to Florida I mean in this last year I've got to travel all over and speak and talk and like my anxiety and just my overall health would have prevented that you know um so yeah I uh I guess that was a long way of saying you don't really <laughs> <laughs> physiologically you don't need them. I mean, and we know. I mean, you go back to evolution. We people went for decades. Like if you lived in the tundra, you didn't have carbs. <laughs> you know, you just didn't. Yep. So it's very silly that we've. Um, I mean, that's why we have a lot of chronic diseases is because we've taught people that you need vegetable oil, sugar, and refined flour to live, and those are the things that are actually damaging our health. And I I recently heard from Sad Guru that. Um, the soil is not nutrient dense anymore that, you know, like a hundred years ago, you eat, uh, an orange and you get a, a lot of nutrients from that, I suppose. But compared to now you have to eat 10 oranges to get the nutrient of that one orange you can, you used to get. So that's the thing with like vegetables and fruits is that you're, we're not getting as much nutrients now because of what's happening in the soils as well and 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 i for me for me to say like that i the more low carb i got so the less fruits the less vegetables i actually started to feel better like the less bloating um and and uh so i think yeah we can get all of our nutrients from meat um and the different types of meat eggs fish and that's another reason i think it's good to support local you know support regenerative agriculture if you're able to get a cow or you know a cow share meat locally even you know if you do some fruits and vegetables in your diet get them locally because the soil would be better but like mm. personally i don't depend on plants for any nutrition like i don't say like oh man i'm eating this carrots for vitamin a like i'm you know getting a little bit of carbs <laughs> from my yeah. plant. i can get all of everything else i need i'm depending on the animals for it you know um but yeah no i agree with you and i've heard that and our, i mean our soil is is a mess you know and mm -hmm. i guess we, we could probably go on and on you have people that are like well industrial farming is terrible yeah it's not great it's really not and that's why if you're able to you should definitely support regenerative agriculture i mean that's really what could save the planet we could probably do a whole podcast on that um you know there's great and if you don't live close to a regenerative agriculture um farm you know i'd get online and see if there's one close to you that can ship like white oak pastures is really great um i feel like there's gosh i want to see 10 or so in the united states that are much larger that have big operations but ideally i mean i'm fortunate i live close to portland oregon like i'm actually driving friday <laughs> to pick up our cash we always go through it faster right? it's so funny like you know we get beef it's like oh 100 pounds of beef how long is that gonna last like eh, a few months you know <laughs> to people um but you know most people are like ah it should last you a year um but yeah no it's it's good stuff excellent well thank you michelle uh, i really appreciate uh, you coming on and for those who are looking to improve your mental and physical health the dietitian's dilemma is a powerful tool that you need to have in your tool belt right everything in that book it's just you lay it all like it's so packed full of information right it and and that's why i say it's a powerful tool so i recommend that you listen to it or you buy the the paperbacks and thank you michelle i i'm so grateful well thank you thank you so much for having me on and yeah i really appreciate it you guys are interested it, that helps me out a lot so um digestion's dilemma on amazon we got the ebook paperback and audible well thank you so much and uh, take care i hope you enjoyed this episode with michelle hearn 
If you found it to be useful and insightful, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It'll help spread the message to other people who are currently suffering. And lastly, do not let anxiety define who you are. I will see you on the next podcast episode. Bye for now. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.